You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. But I love sci-fi. It's my favorite genre, and part of the reason that I love it so much is because it allows us the space to imagine our particular world on Earth and the moral conundrums that we come into and all the other kinds of uh, questions we ask and so on and so forth. I love sci-fi because it allows us to paint other planets with different creatures asking the same questions that we ask. And when you can think of another world asking the same questions that we ask and picturing what the world might look like if we had addressed our questions differently, it just gives you the space to to think of spiritual conversations and moral conversations, political conversations, all different kinds of conversations in different ways. And Star Trek was really like at the, the start of that. Uh, we often look at Star Trek as like, yeah, people just like that because that was like some of the first sci-fi out there. No, a lot of times people love Star Trek because it looked into our world by painting it in a sci-fi kind of way. And you see the conundrums that they come in all the way. So one of the sci-fi worlds we're going to look into tonight is called Paralandra. Anybody ever read this book? If you haven't, my wife, is good. she told me about it actually. Um, It's by C.S. Lewis. There will be spoilers, and you're like 100 years behind, so you can't yell at me for that. Yeah. Paralandra. P-E-R-E-L-A-N. P-E-R-L-E-L-A-N-D-R-A. Or Venus. Paralandra is what the people who live on Venus call their own planet. So there you go. That's, that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this little sci-fi trilogy where he takes a look at some ideas of other planets. And he asks those kinds of spiritual questions. What if there's another planet out there that faced the same kinds of thing that we faced, but made a different decision causing everything to change? We love the what if kinds of questions. Disney Plus right now with their new Marvel series of What If. You know, that first episode came out this week, which is essentially what if Agent Carter made a different decision many years ago, causing her to somehow become Captain America. That's the question they ask. Just one change and one decision that changes everything. That's what C.S. Lewis does with Paralandra. What he imagines is what if we went to a planet, specifically we ended up on Paralandra or Venus, as we would call it, And we met there some human-like creatures who really just looked exactly like humans, but they were green. So green humans. (laughs) What if we met some green humans there? And the picture that he paints is that uh, uh, this character goes and lands on Paralandra. And when they land there, they find basically the Garden of Eden. That this planet is just getting started. That God has just started here and that he has the same origin story, more or less. This green race of people is put on the planet to take care of it, and they have been told not to do something. So the temptation is there that they might want to go and do that one thing that they're not supposed to do, the same story that we have, right? 
And for really, let's see here, 200 pages is the, the people of this planet trying to struggle through not committing the sin that they've been told not to commit. It's them struggling through trying not to fall for the temptation for 200 pages. In Genesis, it's like two paragraphs apart. Don't do that thing. Oh, we did it. But in Paralandra, it's like 200 pages apart. Don't do that thing. Months pass and years pass. And they don't. In the end, they don't do it. And so we're painted the Garden of Eden, but a race that didn't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but instead decided firmly in the end, even though they faced temptation, even though they almost gave in a few times, in the end they said, no, I'm going to be faithful to God and follow him. Because of that, C.S. Lewis then paints this race of green people moving into more or less the resurrection. That they go from being these humanoid people to being these glorified humanoid people. They take on a certain kind of glory, their own kind of resurrection glory, except it's interesting, in their particular tale on their planet, they never had to die. <laughs> they didn't have to suffer through sin and death and Satan. They faced the temptation that could take them there, but they decided to follow God. And because of that, they skipped this whole phase we know on earth of all this pain and suffering and just go straight to the resurrection. It's an interesting picture that he paints. And let's be honest, it's a picture that we all wish we ourselves could move into. How great would it be to just skip the last several thousand years of pain and suffering and horrible atrocities that we've all heard? So let's go ahead and zoom out from Paralandra and take a look at, at our own planet here on Earth, because we know the story here, right? We know that we were put on the earth to take care of it. There's God, and then he creates spiritual beings in the spiritual realm to take care of the spiritual realm. And then there's humans that God puts on this planet to take care of this planet. That's what he assigns us to do. So we find ourselves here on the planet told to take care of it. And once we have kids, we're going to leave the Garden of Eden. Our kids are going to keep multiplying until we've moved out into the entire planet and cultivated the whole thing to look like heaven. God didn't just give us a planet and was like, all right, don't worry about it. It's cool. It's, I don't know. Water, oceans, have fun. No, God gave us the planet to cultivate it. He gave us dominion over, to, over it. Not in like, you have dominion, go destroy whatever you want. No, it's dominion in a, I've made you in my image, so you image me to the world. Here's my dominion for you. Take care of it the way I would. So that's the plan. And so ultimately, the idea in the Garden of Eden was we leave Eden, and eventually, over the course of time, we've made the whole planet look like God would want it to look. But we were told there was one thing that we weren't supposed to do, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, if we had lived the way that we were supposed to live, it really would have been similar to Paralandra. In the end, the whole planet would look as God wanted it to look. And I don't think resurrection was just something that was going to be given to humanity if they sinned. Really, that doesn't make any sense. Like, humans, if you are really bad, I'll give you an even better gift of immortal life. <laughs> no, no, I think eventually as we follow God, he would bring us into like this, this immortal state of resurrection. 
But we all know that this isn't the way that it went. Paralandra is our what-if story. Instead, a spiritual being from heaven, a star, as the Bible sometimes paints Satan, the star, this heavenly host, comes down to earth, form of a serpent, and he tells the humans a different way. Rather than walking with God, rather than walking in such a way that we would cultivate the earth as God would cultivate it, rather than walking towards the resurrection life, we could instead turn it back on ourselves. And Satan tempts us. Don't you want to be, don't you want to think like gods? Aren't you tired of being mortals? Look at me, I'm, I'm a heavenly host. I'm a spiritual being. Paul goes so far as to call Satan the little G God of this world. So here's Paul, one of these little G gods. Like, I'm one of the gods. Don't you want to think like I think? Don't you want to act like I act? Have the knowledge that I have? You can have it. It's right here. All you have to do is eat from this tree. And unlike Paralandra, where they walk into the resurrection, they instead listen to the snake, take for themselves, turn in on themselves, which in reality changes the course of everything. Resurrection now seems miles away. Following God now seems miles away. Somehow the arrow has pointed from new earth, new resurrected bodies, now to the little g God of this world, Satan, taking over the whole thing. We sin against God, by doing the one thing he told us not to do. And as punishment for our sin, we therefore are turned away from the Garden of Eden, which means we're going to die now. We wouldn't have died before. Death was already in the world from the beginning, but we escaped it by living in God's presence where there was a tree of life. We could eat from the tree of life. We could live forever by having access to that in God's presence. But now that we can't get back into the Garden of Eden, where God's presence is, where the tree of life is, that death that God said would happen if we sinned is now our destiny. We all die. And therefore, we will find ourselves subject to uh, the ways in which Satan corrupts the world, the way in which Satan leads us towards sin. Satan, even in the book of Hebrews, I think, is called like the Lord of death. So Satan becomes this like being that destroys everything. And humans, as they give their dominion and power and authority over to Satan, they too start destroying everything too. The whole world, instead of focusing their attention on God and on turning the world and humanity into everything that's supposed to be, they're now focusing all their attention inward. What can I be? How can I be like a God? How can I uh, be everything I ever wanted to be? We turn ourselves into images, or Salem's, the Hebrew word is. Salem is an idol. A corrupted image we made in the image of God who were supposed to show the world what God looked like now become idols of ourselves we all sin we all die and we all get messed up by Satan along the way Satan has power over death for that reason we gotta wonder like what do we do like future has been changed. One decision in the what if of universes has messed everything up. And why would God do anything for us? Because we're the ones who messed it up. Like, it just seems hopeless. It seems endless. But we know as Christians the way that the story goes. 
God told Eve in the same moment that she is cursed, you're going to have more pain in childbirth. The earth is going to bear thorns. It will be harder to farm. You will do it by the sweat of your brow and the blood of your hands. All of these problems that enter the world because we've shifted reality with one decision. God also says in the same time a prophetic word about Jesus all the way in Genesis 3. Eve, one day you will have a descendant, a human descendant, that will fix us. It will fix everything. It will fix sin. He will fix death. He will fix Satan. He will stop on the serpent and crush its head. But the serpent at the same time will bite his heel. And that prophetic word is calling all the way to the cross. Right from Genesis 3. It's amazing. The Bible knows what's going on so far ahead of time. We always like, oh yes, all these words about Jesus and Isaiah. It's all over Genesis, like all over the place. Even resurrection is there if you look close enough. That descendant comes along, his name is Jesus, and he happens to be God. Humanity has proved over and over and over and over again, they cannot beat sin, they cannot beat death, they cannot beat Satan. Even the best human beings in the Bible get it horribly wrong all the time. And so we keep waiting. When is the promised one of Genesis 3 going to show up? Where is the human that will defeat all of these problems that we have? And in a strange twist, the God who should be offended at us, the God who could hate us, could just turn away from us if he wanted, in a strange twist, that same God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, not a little G God, but the capital G God, decides to set aside anything that is not compatible with being a human being, then force himself to be born of a human woman, through a miracle, and we get Jesus Christ, who is God, but is fully subject to human skin. The supernatural stuff he does is because he has the Holy Spirit. Actually, there are a few things Jesus does in the New Testament that wasn't done by prophets in the Old Testament who had the power of the Holy Spirit. The dead were raised by old prophets. Food was multiplied by old prophets. The list goes on. When people saw Jesus doing supernatural things, they would have immediately thought, oh, he's like the prophets of old who had the Holy Spirit in him. Jesus comes to us. He, it's God in flesh. But he does something that humans could never do. He successfully never sins, as Hebrew tells us, and therefore he is not subject to death. But he baits Satan in, right? He tricks him. Hey, Satan, you can come kill me if you want. Satan's never met a human who's never sinned. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'd love to kill the Son of God. Let's go ahead and do this. That's exactly what Satan's thinking. He dives in. He crosses his boundary. He kills the Son of God and then finds out, Oh, what have I done? <laughs> As Paul says, if the principalities of this world would have known what they were doing when they crucified the Lord, they would have never done it in the first place. In that moment, Satan strikes Jesus' heel, and Jesus crushes his skull. And the cross then becomes the perfect blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifices have always covered sin in the past, but this one was a human sacrifice. 
to cover all sin for all time. And through the cross, and through this Jesus, through this God in flesh, who has beat sin, who has beat death, who has beat Satan, he now invites us into a new world where we too can beat sin, beat death, and Satan. And it's not some far-off idea of like a, maybe the resurrection's real. No, Jesus evidences it with his own life. Look at me. This is real right in front of you. This is a new body that is both physical and spiritual. Physical because it can eat fish, as Jesus does after the resurrection. Spiritual because it can just walk through walls and warp around and vanish from in front of you, just like angels do. Physical because you can put your hands on him. But spiritual because it can ascend into heaven. This resurrection body is a new kind of human being. We go from glory, of the glory we now know, being humans with dominion, to glory to glory. The glory of being human, to the glory of becoming Christian, to the glory of becoming the fullness of resurrection. But the resurrection is not just later, it is right now. Paul believed that you will not just be raised at the end of things and then finally you'll have it all together. While that's true, Paul believed that the resurrection was so strong that the Holy Spirit who brings about resurrection is already doing new life in you right now. So when you are baptized, the old humanity is killed and the new humanity of the resurrection begins immediately. And therefore sin, while it can still be pursued because we're in this middle between resurrection and old life, isn't meant to be pursued anymore. Can't, shouldn't be pursued anymore. Because the resurrection life doesn't have that there. Death should not be dwelt upon because death, where is your sting? You could kill us. That's the worst you could do. It doesn't matter. We'll be back. You can shove us into the grave. You can bury us and martyr us, burn us alive. It doesn't matter. We'll be back. Satan can put a mark on your back because if you're really living like a Christian, he's going to want to stop you. But it doesn't matter because he could kill you, burn you alive, hurt you, make your life miserable. Who cares? In the end, he dies. You live. Sin, death, and Satan are done away with. And there is only one what-if timeline that lasts in the end. Everything that is wrong with the world, the serpent, the snake, Satan himself, death itself, sin itself, all of that is taken, thrown into the lake of fire to be destroyed forever so it can no longer hurt and affect anyone. And the only timeline that gets to live after that, this already sounds like sideline, is those who have subjected themselves to say, all hail King Jesus. Recognizing on one hand, that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves because only Jesus made this timeline work. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. But at the same time, subjecting ourselves faithfully to King Jesus is required to stay on that timeline. As Jesus says plenty of times. As one theologian says, salvation is by faith and grace but judgment is by works. 
In other words, we are saved by only Jesus. Only he can get us in this timeline. But if we are not evidencing that we call Jesus king by what we do with our lives after that, then we're probably not dealing with this timeline. Because the resurrection timeline sees the end of sin, sees the end of death, sees the end of Satan. This is the world that we are called into. And it sounds like science fiction. It sounds like fantasy. It sounds like myth. The myth, as we often see, is born out of reality. Myth has a trueness to it, has a realness to it. This is the end of the Bible. If you're like me, you grew up only knowing the present age. <laughs> when the Bible, and Paul especially, has so much to say about resurrection. We find that all over the place, and we find it here in Romans. So I'll read the passage from today for you. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, so Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more had the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, if because of Adam's trespass, Adam's sin, death reigns through that one man and through Adam and through his generations, I'm adding words in here, much more will receive the much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we've talked about today is looking at this line that Paul sets up. There's this one line set through Adam where we keep finding ourselves with death, with sin, with Satan. Then there's a new Adam, a new human of a different kind of glory that we can become like if we subject ourselves to him and walk back to the destiny that was set before us at the beginning. God doesn't mess up. God did not create the world to be taken care of by humans, watch it fall apart, and then say, well, I guess that plan failed. I'll just give them Jesus and call it good. No. Jesus is bringing us back to finish the plan to make the whole earth look like heaven. And he will do it through the resurrection.
I thought last minute on the way here of 1 Corinthians 15. Or, sorry, I knew somewhere that Paul talked more about this new Adam. I just wanted to read it because he, he gets into this one other place. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. He talks about the resurrection body. He says, this body, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness as though our body is a seed when it's put in the grave. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Adam was a human being, but Jesus was a resurrected, life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from ha heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, of Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. When you subject your life to Jesus, what if happens? Everything changes. And so right now, if you feel like your life following Jesus hasn't changed really at all, if you feel like you're kind of stranded, know that it takes time for change to happen. Paul calls the change that happens in us fruit. And what is fruit but something that takes time to grow? You know, there's that famous quote, uh, going to a church and not expecting to find hypocrites is like going to a gym and not expecting to find fat people, right? Like you go to the gym and you expect to see people who are unhealthy because you go to the gym to get healthy. We go to church and you should expect that, yeah, we're all hypocritical some way because we come here to get better. Resurrection takes time. Fruit takes time to grow. I get that. But at the same time, if we just feel like there's nothing there, then let's subject ourselves freely to Jesus again. Just saying, God, I need you to bring this about even more so. You are the creator of resurrection life. So please, give me more of that. Your Holy Spirit wants me to have more of that. So let me have more of that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are the bringer of resurrection. You are the foundation of resurrection. And we got to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes Christianity just doesn't look like resurrection. Over the last few years, the things that the church has been known for hasn't looked like Jesus. The pandemic has actually brought about some of the worst pieces of the church. Well, we are still here now. We're still going to church. We're still faithful. We want to be better. We subject ourselves to you. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and do a new work in us because we cannot generate resurrection by our own manner. All we can do is put a little bit of effort in and let you do the rest. You are the water that sustains. So sustain us, grow us, 
and help us be able to subject ourselves to you as you do it. Just now. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for staying a little late while I babbled. We will catch you guys next week, if not sooner. Have a good one.